word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week, that is through the end of Mistborn Era 2. We are done with everything relating to this so far, provided there's not a Secret History 2 published at some point, but we are right there through it all. Also, there may be small spoilers relating to Warbreaker, Elantris, and perhaps a short story or two that is within the Cosmere, just to be aware of. So Maybe yeah. Tress? Maybe Tress. I don't think so. I don't think we need to touch on Tress. But, okay. yeah. Cool. <laughs> Hey there, this is Cross. And I am Cross. No, you're not. We are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike. We tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. I'm not Cross. I I admit it. I am much too cool and much too attractive. Mm. to be Christland. Okay. <laughs> got it got it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> no good good work we're, we're right on the money there i think you nailed it actually yeah. that was a great it's a great little bait you did there yeah i loved it mm-hmm. <laughs> so today is our final episode discussing the lost metal by brandon sanderson and we're going to chat about chapters 67 through the end but before we get too much further into the meat of this pj tell me what you're drinking what are we having today because we're having uh, the same thing we for rarity today true we've been drinking we're coming in a little hot we're coming in very hot so uh if you would like to join us every once in a while today we did a game night a a game afternoon with patrons and you could you could be one of those patrons at yes patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey but the bartender uh, here and above but Today I am drinking a smoked old fashioned and I'm doing this mostly because I don't have orange. So I yes. have, I, I used Larceny bourbon and then just a bar spoon of simple syrup and a couple dashes of orange bitters. And then I put another couple dashes of orange bitters into some wood chips, which I then mm. used to smoke mm. the cocktail. Nice. After stirring it. Nice. So. Yeah. I mean, basically gives you that orange flavor that you're you're kind of seeking in these often. I similarly am also having an old fashioned. It felt like the right thing to do to send off Wax and Wayne to have whiskey on the episode. WW and W and W and W. Yes, it is. It's five fucking W's. But. Them are the same W. Two of them are whiskey. Wax and Wayne, words and whiskey and whiskey. Yeah. Fair enough. You're, you're right. Good call. But I am also having an old fashioned, but I did something different this time because i'm actually trying so my family still does like christmas stockings and in the christmas stocking we got like a little like one shot bitter milk which is like a mixer to create an old-fashioned and i just wanted to try it and i figured it was a good thing to review and talk about on the podcast it's solid i didn't i didn't need to add a splash of sugar or anything like this to it i used bullet bourbon which is i think what a lot of people might have for a maybe upper shelf you should get four roses instead same cost we talked about this earlier today but it's solid. I, I'm actually shocked at how good it is. The only thing that I modified is I threw in a dash of bitters still on top. But yeah, it was great. Awesome. So, so what, not what's, bad. I'm shocked. What's in this mixture? You said bitters milk? No, it's called bitter milk is the brand. It is. I can see it from here, but I don't know what's in it. The idea is, is that I don't necessarily need to know what it's, what's in it because it's is it good or not. And it 
does simulate an old fashioned very well. I'm sure it's predominantly sugar and probably also some bittering agent. I like I generally do an extra dash of bitters over top of what most people do because I like the bitter flavor and the herbal notes that you really get. So that's ultimately why I did the extra dash on top of this. So, so it's like a just add liquor kind of. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And it's not okay. bad. I mean, honestly, I think it's I think it's fine if people use it in the right ratio. It worked worked great for me. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. And then we were um, both having something very unique. You want to go ahead? Oh, fuck. Talk about it. So while PJ is going off and pouring that for himself, we were mailed a nice little treat by our, pa- by our patron, Zypress, and we are very excited to talk about it on the show. We we're kind of mailed two things. This this is a great counterpoint to being doxxed for the record, getting getting like one month, getting absolutely ruined by the internet, and then also getting a sweet treat from a patron. So thank you very much for the counterpoint of believing in people and faith and all that nonsense that makes me love what we do. So what we have today is a sicer, which is effectively a cider that Zypress constructed with an Everclear backing, and it is incredible. I'm drinking it out of my favorite glass from my favorite bar in st cloud pj may talk about it from time to time but the white horse it is awesome i'm i'm so like it, it absolutely turned out with the warm spices and everything else i love it not only that but obviously on my desk here i've got to have stuff to put you know my my drinks on and you also mailed us a lovely alimantic coaster chart 3d printed and i love this i think that this is very very cool for all of those of you at home we are going to be putting this up on instagram so you can see both of them together i've already taken photos but they'll be up when this episode launches so very cool thank you very much very very fun little thing here so thanks so much pj will be back having tried it i assume i'm here i'm here yeah Uh, it took me it took some effort to get the cork out so (laughs) oh good because for me i my corkscrew uh-huh. was not on my bar, so I had to mm. run to the kitchen to get the corkscrew. Gotcha. We'll see if mine is yeah. going to be as different. It looks really, I, really compressed. Call call it what it is. I'm obviously very glad that I have this and that we get to talk about it. I actually broke one of my three corkscrews on it, which is fine because it was a plasticky one. It was like a cheaper one, but immediately switched to the metal one after I snapped the end of the uh, the kind of plasticky one. So... Mine wasn't that bad. Nice. Mine was tough, but so yeah. you did what you didn't mention about it. It is yes. uh, an Everclear backed cider, but it also is primarily a mead. Yes, it is closer to a mead. You're right. It is mead based, and then flavored with cider, and then based on just some complications with the fermentation process. It required a backing of Everclear to bring it up to the desired ABV, which is great. It's it's this nice little hybrid of things, and I think it works fantastically. I think it tastes great. I would one hundred percent buy this, no question. Have you tried? You should try it so that we can both talk about it. It's one of those few times where we've got the same thing to drink. Ooh, that's more spicy than I was expecting. There's a ton Uh of cinnamon, like especially on the nose. But that the apple really, really cuts into the front of the palate. Which is not yeah, what I, I expect Apple to do. I'm honestly of the opinion that this could be really fun warm, too. Like, I would absolutely I so. throw this in a kettle, warm it up, and then, like, drink yeah. it the other way, too. Because so with, I'm with of that two cinnamon, minds. It'll, it's halfway to a mulled wine. Yeah, right. Already. And it would it would rule, I think, hot. 
So yeah. that might be what we yeah, do on the back half of the episode. We'll see. But my plan I, is to. I won't. I know. Nah. <laughs> I'm not going to. I mean, this. I said maybe. I didn't. I wasn't guaranteeing anything, but I think that I definitely want to try some warm. But yeah, predominantly that. That's why we made old fashions, you know, small, simple drink, because we want to drink this and talk about that on the episode. So that was our, that was our game plan. Beyond that, I'm also sipping on the, if, you, if you're watching live, I'm also sipping on the leftovers of a Profusion 3 from the game night so i've got a little bit of that left so i'm going to finish that and then continue drinking the sicer it is awesome thank you so much again because it rules so cheers and pj and i get to talk about the same thing that we're drinking at once which is great hasn't happened in a long time cheers <laughs> it's been a minute cheers cool and the alimantic coaster i adore it. it's yeah, great i will hold it up to the camera i'm assuming you already did but i did but yes yeah, yeah it is so cool it's great i took some cool photos with it because we typically do that for final books and like to share that kind of information and stuff like that shiny but gold plastic with black 3d printed yeah it's awesome little medallion coaster it's fantastic so pj this is obviously this is the last episode covering the chapters of era two how do you feel about this week's reading how do you feel about kind of i mean we're going to talk about things in depth of course as we go into this and so i don't want to spend too much time here because you know talking about the reading when it's the end is one thing but how do you feel about a like ending another series b the resolution on the whole and you know any anything else what's going on ending a series so it's one thing to end a series and it's another thing entirely to at least temporarily and a like a universe you know like th- mm-hmm. those are two separate things in this world in, in, yep. in the cosmere and we're doing both right now <laughs> like we'll come back obviously oh yeah right but but like we are taking a hiatus from the cosmere and kind of f- what do you mean kind of well, we're still going to be reading secret projects throughout the year. So like we're not right. That's true. We're not fully That's true. But the, but the primary like bulk of our episodes are we're not driving straight into Stormlight basically. Right. So like I am super, super satisfied with the way that this story ends. But I'm also a little bit like pining for more. Knowing how much more there is out there and like wanting to totally understand what's going on, especially considering how much of the external planets magic systems have been brought into Mistborn now. And I have next to no idea about any of them. Yeah, just to not like try to put any kind of like dash of anything on top of what you're saying, but as far as the external magic systems go, the only one that we really have presented here from a different story is the blood seals. Mm-hmm. So the other ones aren't explained. This is, in some cases, their first introduction. Okay, that's fair. Like the Aethers, for instance. Yeah. You know, that's a yeah. example. That's true. Either way, super happy with yeah. the outcome of this story and so, so fucking excited for Era 3. Yeah, I I think I come away feeling good about the end of characters and the way that this wraps up some of those threads. I think I've voiced it before, but I have this vague, itchy, scratchy feeling at the back of my head that I'm a little bit worried in the future about how character might get consumed by plot threads from other universes and how 
you can really complicate this and muck it up and go in a potentially unsatisfactory direction. I don't think that that's the state of things as it is, but I'm more concerned about it after this story than I ever was before, which I know I brought up as like a timid point after Bands of Mourning because I started to see those connections get drawn. But I also, that is also a part of that is the attraction of the Cosmere on the whole, right? Is this idea of a galaxy with connected rules and different systems and them competing with each other against each other and occasionally, you know, compounding each other in very interesting ways. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there, there's this giant question in the back of my head, having finished this for a second time, third time now, is this a feature or a, bu- or a bug? And this book in different moments, it feels like both for me. So I can, I can understand that. I can get behind that. I'm only just the smallest bit concerned because of the gloves off comment as to how that will impact Stormlight 5. And that's maybe where a lot of my timidity comes from, if that makes sense. External solving of a series like this made me a little bit, yeah, yeah, scratches, scratches in the wrong places in some ways. So I'm hoping, for instance, I'm hoping that that series doesn't resolve with a Mistborn showing up on the planet and, you know, doing a bunch of shit as opposed to the primary characters there. So, right. If that makes sense. It does. So cool. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. We're also just for the record for anyone listening to this. We have two more episodes that we're going to be doing on Mistborn. PJ and I are going to be doing a solo wrap up where we're just going to be talking about kind of the era on the whole and or sorry, not the era on the whole, the lost metal on the whole and kind of our overall feelings, more of what we just went through. And then we are also having Ben back as we promised from overly average Ben to talk about the eras, era one and two, kind of on the whole and the themes and how we feel about each of the different books. So we figured that would be a good way to wrap it up. In addition, in the near future, at the same time as one of those episodes, we're going to be doing our episode zero on the Greenbone Saga. So that'll introduce the co-hosts, some of the format changes that we're going to be doing. And yeah, basically that half of the year that's upcoming for us. So that we're recording that this weekend, which is crazy. (laughs) It doesn't come out for like two weeks, but... Oh my God, I'm still so nervous that we're starting to begin with. Right. So. Cool. Any thoughts, questions? Did I miss anything? Oh man. Go check out our Legend of Vox Machina coverage on Short Pours. Like, come on, what are you doing? Should air, I think, before this episode. Likely on Wednesday. Something like that. So, you'll get that in your feeds when you get it, punks. Cool. That was All right. such a fun episode to record. It is so much fun. That was such a fun podcast. It it also made me very, very, very excited for the Greenbone Saga coverage. Like it it pumped me up to have a bunch of other people there that we could just bounce off of and, you know, have fun with. In addition to our uh, like obviously I love you dearly, but it, w- it was cool to shake it up a little bit and have other people on. It always is. Mm-hmm. So for sure. Sweet. Well, let's jump into the breakdown. And I am just the slightest bit bummed that I didn't include this Steris chapter in last week. I think I mentioned it at the end of the last episode. If not, it's off air. But this this one should have gone on the, the other episode, but it also felt like ending with the moment at the top of the Shaw feels so good to leave on. <sighs> because we do just get a lot of Steris here all of a sudden, and it kind of you want to feel better to break it up. But I, you know, I love this idea and Steris and the absolute importance in the situation with the population of Elendel, as well as Varlance's well-intentioned help to guide the city counter to assumptions that were made on, on Varlance's behalf and even surprising our characters here. What, what do you think? What do you, where, where do you stand? I mean, 
you're right. This would have pretty well fit into last week's coverage, into last Mm -hmm. week's breakdown. I guess, despite that, this is a very sort of heartwarming note to start on. Seeing Steris, like despite it being an emergency, we get to really see Steris shine. And Mm -hmm. that's something that persists throughout the entirety of this final section. But here specifically starting starting with this is a very high note for me to begin the chapter coverage yeah i i think i agree with that that makes sense to me it it does feel good it's just very you know i i don't know like i like the idea of always making sure that we check in with our characters as often as we can so it felt like it had been a little bit longer than i would have liked but you're right it is kind of a warm way to start this off and it is her feeling needed right and it's i mean we'll we'll talk about this more later but like if you compare Steris now to Steris and Bands of Mourning, there's this whole conversation about her feeling like she's 7% useful, and that's how she evaluates herself in those moments and those scenes. And just her absolute utility and importance to saving everyone in the city here is just lovely, and I, I really appreciate it. This is a strangely criticized thread of the story by a lot of people that I've listened to review it, and I am genuinely shocked and kind of a little bit pulled back part of it i think and why people don't is that a lot of people don't necessarily jive with eritu as much as they do other cosmere stories and so they don't care about these other character threads they just care about the importance of like oh my god all of marisi's stuff is so fucking cool it's like the characters of eritu are some of the best that brandon's done so while i love the other threads comparatively i would if I had to choose something to axe from the story, I would take Marisi's plot out. But if I had to remove a plot. Frankly, that's, I don't want to say least impactful, but less. It's all wider less universe impactful stuff. Yeah. Yeah. To the immediate threat. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd be with you. Yeah. Anyway, no one has to make that choice or sacrifice. I just always, man, every every single little bit that I've listened to of coverage on this in particular is like we don't need Steris. Steris was just here for the Mawish bit, blah blah blah. And I'm like, come on, you just never, you don't care about character. That's what you're actually saying. Anyway, or the over. actual like response of the city, right, right, which is so great to have included in the story. So frequently, does something like this just kind of go off on the side and it's just like a obviously everyone's reacting to the news of a bomb you never see this idea of like an organization and how like that begins to roll itself out and that's what i i love this so much Mm -hmm. i mean like it doesn't worry the military of course and steris works out what's happening with the ship to to present people and begins to like migrate them outwards thinks of the tsunami potential if the bomb were to go off all of these different notes and moments I, i just adore yeah and i can't imagine people not liking this have a tough time <laughs> it's fair <sighs> any anything else in the warship charging in the direction and steris's reaction how they manage it so just the speed at which steris was able to suss it out and like figure out what was actually happening mm-hmm. was a little unbelievable i'll give it that really you i thought mean, you thought it was unbelievable not i guess that part wasn't unbelievable what I've got a different sort of opinion in that respect. It was fast though. How quickly they like figured a single warship coming at full speed equals bomb. Mm -hmm. 
and like we 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 have the luxury of so much more information than than anybody else but like it is an unconventional bomb delivery method is it in universe though hmm? is it unconventional in universe though because they don't really have another way that they can imagine like rockets aren't real yet and so like there's a lot of other context there so. so i good point yeah, you know what i mean like yeah i i feel like that's something that you could you could predict with and and the other side of being able to predict it too that i just want to bring up here is like steris is always preparing for the worst case scenario and so there's that other side of this where it's like she's thought out all of these different things and so she has this kind of on a premeditated list of sorts to talk about it yeah so or to think about it yeah, she, she sense. is very capable and quick at working these kind of things out Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, that's that's it. I just love Steris. Fuck, fuck the haters. Fuck you know? the haters. Fuck the haters. We love Steris. <laughs> cool. All right. With that, we hop over to Maricene, chapter sixty-eight, and this is a quick little chapter. I mean, a lot of these chapters are going to be kind of fast, and so I, I think that for the most part, we'll pretty much pin these in single bits about each one, but. We resolve the conflict with the underground Alamancers and really begin to kind of put a pin in her story as we see it and her impact on the plot on the whole. As her cousin Armel brings up a question of whether or not she really lived her life while she was above ground. Like, what are you living for? Did you live this time? And I think that that's more than a fair question. And it tugs on Marisi as she considers her life with Alec and the things that she wants to accomplish. It's perspective served up on a familial platter. This was such an impressive kind level-headed like just just wholesome response from Amal Armal Armal mm-hmm. I'm sure she's going through a litany of emotions most of them probably negative and and bitter and for her to channel that into such a question it, it was wonderful and thought provoking. Inspiring. I like, I liked it. Yeah. I am very with you on that. I think that it is subtle and thought provoking. And in all honesty, like one of the things that gets me about Brandon's writing versus a lot of things is often, I don't feel like it stops to like ask these questions. And I love that this is proposed here. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful way of rounding out her character in such a, dynamic way that i really appreciate it i think it's excellent and excellent mm-hmm. done we we've talked we talked a lot last week about kind of fixated on i would even say the like era one era two comparisons and the way that that gets brought up and it's I, i've had a couple of people reach out and like talk about it and be like i feel like that was pointing directly to this and i'm i totally agree i think the thing is though is that being subtle about these things is way more impactful and and i think that trusting your audience to follow along with these things as it impacts the character is really important. And this is an example of that working perfectly and the way it pays off immediately is good as well. But this is a very important thing and the core to Marisi and the decision that she makes in the end. And subtlety is not always a thing, I think in this book more than the rest. So this is a much more direct story in that way sometimes. Mm -hmm. So, just want to bring that up here since we're yeah. since we're talking about it. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Anything else on on Marcy Armel this chapter? I don't think so. Cool. 
All right. We go to chapter 69. 69. Nice. All right. And then we move to Wellid, man upon the ship. And I just have to assume that he's the descendant of Wellin, of course, like a callback to the first era with the guy of whom narrowly escapes death a couple of times. Again, this is a great subtle callback, not one that goes, hey, remember era one? <laughs> <laughs> this is trusting reader a little bit. This is what I'm talking about. But we're presented from his perspective, the fanaticism of these people. He's not necessarily the fanatic. He's roped in like the people that Wayne was trying to save, but he, he's still a part of part of the group, seemingly oblivious to his compatriots and their dedication to the set and to autonomy herself. And while he's coming to terms with these things, Donshot and Bright Boy <laughs> emerge from the sea like some tentacled monstrosities of old. And... Our boy Wax has a spike protruding from his chest, as does Wayne. So, I mean, Wayne isn't from his chest, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good call, I'd say, with the Wellen sort of connection. I think I'd argue that Brandon is very good at making very, very subtle connections to Era One, unless it's actually important. And then he has to, like, hit it with a fucking hammer. Right, which you don't need to. That, I, I think that was my point. Is it's no, like, I, you don't have no, to. No, I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, I wish this level of callback was the sort of typical reflection on previous eras within these books. But instead we get explicit callbacks to mythi- mythological texts outlining the stories that we've already read. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, is fine. I I don't care that much. I'm not that worried about it. But yeah, right. Again, it's, it's a, a gripe. It's more, not. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be cool for it to be more. Let it be subtle. subtle. Let it live subtly. Right. Yeah. Then we'd feel cool about pointing it out. You know, it's like that's the cool thing. That's the core of the story. You feel good for that reward of mm-hmm. of picking it up on your own, as opposed to being told what the answer is to the question. But. Just to get into some positives to to gas this thing up a little bit, so to speak. I love these one-off perspectives that we get every Mm -hmm. once in a while. And we haven't gotten much of it through basically all of Era 2. But we get it almost every book, at least a couple of them. At least one, usually a couple of them through the first trilogy. And... It feels so good to be in Wellid's perspective here. Yeah, um, a normal the description person, of the tentacles. Right? I'm, I'm assuming that's the mist. It's the mist coat. So it's the, is that what yeah. it is? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Felt a little bit more grand than that, mm-hmm. but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Super it's cool. very eldritchy, right? Like it's calling. It's calling to. It's evoking that kind of intentionally, I think, is the idea. And it does make it feel like a mistwraith, I believe, is what he equates it to in the moment. And then realizes, of course, that it's, you know, Don Shot that's jumped onto the ship. So mm. we then move from that perspective of Wellid, which is a new perspective, to another new perspective, that of Telson. And we see that Autonomy has decided to pull out from her, pull out that power from her perspective and lean of her cold and without the ability to do what she was able to do before, to see moments of the future, to glimpse this and... That is a fucking power move, if I might say so, Autonomy. Also to, like, just kind of shit on her a little bit. Like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Getting the rug pulled out from under her 
just as she was about to complete her mission, despite all the setbacks mm-hmm. and despite like everything that's gone wrong. Like, all that does is make it very clear to me that Telson was a pawn from the beginning. Like she's about to win by all by all accounts, except for this fucking act of God. She's about to win. And she still gets fucked. This is interesting. And I, I love that perspective. And I, I think that that totally makes sense. Is Wax also not a pawn of Harmony, though, in the same regard? Like, sure. They're all absolutely. God's pawns, basically. You know, there's right. this 4X chess game going on. But Wax is, isn't being lied to in the same way that Telson is. He was, though, at one point. No, not really. Because Telson is being explicitly lied to. And being promised things that aren't going to be fulfilled. Whereas Wax I, doesn't realize he's a pawn. Wax is doing things, feeling like he's doing things of his own autonomy. Ha. And is secretly being pushed in a specific direction. Whereas Telson is being actively lied to. In my opinion. I don't know that she is being lied to. I think she's being told most mostly truths. Just like Harmony is telling for a long time, telling Wax mostly truths. I don't think autonomy, based on the way that she was pulled out, Mm -hmm. I don't think autonomy had any intention of letting Telson run the planet. No, I think it was always hmm, a have somebody on the planet to do the dirty work. Yeah, right. She's an avatar. That I I agree with you there. And then take away the power right at the last minute. So they don't actually have any power over any. Oh, I don't, I don't think that it was going to be a rug pull no matter what. I don't, I don't think that it was going to be a rug pull. I think that there's, and I think that this is a great point of debate within the book as well, because it is kind of up for question as to what autonomy wants and like what this game of chess really looks like for the whole Cosmere and the way that the different shards play into it. We even get the the hint of, or we, we talk a little bit earlier in the book about Odium and his stake in things, right? And the way that he goes about conquering or trying to conquer the Cosmere, that's by killing the other shards as opposed to autonomy is seemingly trying to make planets into her thing and not trying to like kill another shard, just move them around, move them away from places to maybe corral them and group them together. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, I guess my, my, my point is, what is the catalyst for getting pulled out of Telson? Like pulling out of Telson. Because ironically, ironically, if she hadn't pulled out of Telson, Telson couldn't have been stunned and this whole plan couldn't have happened. No, but she didn't. She was still in Telson when she was stunned. Like when she was stunned, it just wasn't was she? like autonomy wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Okay. I thought she and then she lost first. because she was stunned. No, no, she. No, you're right. She just you're wasn't. Right, it's right. it's it's as though like autonomy wasn't paying immediate attention because she was like, you can handle this on your own, which is autonomous. It makes sense. And then afterwards, she's like, nope, you don't get the powers anymore because you fucked up. So, gotcha. I think it's my side of the the component or the conversation, as far as I view it, right? And I think that this is abstract in a lot of ways and these rules and the way that this sort of interacts so we don't really have a solid foundation for all of this i don't think that it's as concrete as maybe even i'm making it sound i'm not trying to necessarily make it but that's the way that i've perceived it okay that's fair that makes sense 
Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, this this entire thing with like Telson and autonomy removing, I mean, we're going to have more conversations of this at the end, especially as she kills herself and then paints, you know, the walls red with blood and writes a phrase that we'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Telson. Telson did definitely get played. There's no question. But I, I have a tough time also not acknowledging the fact that Wax was the same sort of pawn, which is also full circle for his arc, though, at the very end, as we get the final note of no one else moves you. So at the very least, he eventually earns his autonomy by doing the right thing. And so autonomy is such a prevalent <laughs> concept repeatedly over the course of this. So, yeah. All right. Let's go in and let's talk a little bit more. We move from Telson back to Wax and the Duralamin leap. That is just incredible, of course. We hop in and realize that he's taken the spike of Dumond to put into himself and he makes it onto the ship. Harmony explains that their spikes aren't necessarily blasphemous, which I think is interesting. It's just recycling, I think is what he says. They easily intimidate Welled. And he's just out, but he does explain that the payload is incredibly sensitive down in the bowels of the ship, and they find it's all rigged like a dead man's switch, leaving them with a very complicated problem to handle. The explanation, or not explanation, but the the assertion that the spikes aren't inherently non-blasphemous, I don't know how much scrutiny that'll hold up and hold up against regardless of how wax and Wayne got them. They were still produced in a way that is pretty counter to their morals. Mm -hmm. So like that, that's a hard argument to make, but the fact of the matter is they are very, very convenient. And frankly, they're kind of the only option. They're super powerful. So I don't love the idea of hand-waving the morality away, but it is Sazed actively saying something to try to hand-wave the morality away. And I think he's capable of that, no doubt, in part because he is also ruined, right? Like he, So he feels... A at the very least some kind of connection to it being okay because while he is harmony and as he mentions I think a couple of times over the course of the rest of the book like he's like I am not only of preservation I am of ruin and so this bomb exploding makes sense to me so right yeah yeah that's how I see it if that makes sense so it does cool anything else on the this chapter the ship the setup for what we're about to see play out no I don't think so all right. With that, we go to chapter 70. We are back with Steris, and she doesn't have nearly the time she wants to get the people out of the city, despite the assistance of Reddy and Varlance. She quickly divides people that seek out her for help and assistance, and, you know, I got to bring it up again, is far more than 7% useful, as she stated back in the Bands of Morning. She deserves to be appreciated and is given a ton of respect for her ability to manage this panic. What What do you think? I, I just I love I love this bit. Steris has been a character that has grown tremendously throughout this story, but here is really where she shines in my eyes for, for the first real time, like all of her intricacies and all of her quirks melt and, and culminate into this very particular force to be reckoned with. 
You know, it's very specific. And I mean, yeah, 7%. It's niche. It's, it's a very, very specific problem that she has all of the perfect answers to. Yeah. So like, I, I'm, I'm not of the opinion necessarily that everyone was wrong about her. I think I'm of the opinion that they are now presented with this problem that perfectly is countered by Steris's preparations. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I, I think it's, it is to that degree, the capability of Steris that proves to be, she had never otherwise been presented with an opportunity in which she could shine this much to other people because she obviously, she self relegated to the point of where she wasn't able to show this off because she never thought that it would be acknowledged or approved of to begin with. And so this idea of like, finally she's thrust into a great scenario for her that works where she can present, you know, her authentic self, I think it works beautifully. Mm-hmm. It's great. But I, I think that a lot of that is her own self doubt in her capabilities. And like, we've seen that over time, she's become more and more acknowledged for being as capable as she is, despite otherwise not moving in that direction. Right. So cool. All right. There's also this group of eight people that approach her during the scene. And it feels pretty clear that they're ghost bloods. Yeah. Especially given like their abilities, the tattoo, sending regards from Marisy. What'd you make of this little almost SWAT team of, of Alamancers? Yeah. I, I hadn't ever considered that it was anything other than ghost bloods, even before right. the Marisy send you regard because of the tattoo because of the, right. the sigil which isn't described but it's pointed out and that might as well be the same thing at this point mm-hmm. i think i think there could be some very legitimate concerns about the morality of the ghost buds and the the code by which they follow but i don't think any of that is broken here well oh there you go. visual aid okay yes i don't think they've broken any codes my first impression of it and my first reaction was but how are they doing this without sharing information but they're not they're not sharing information they're just giving bodies to the disposal of marisy to do what she asked them to do so like there, there's nothing in this section that is particular to the ghost bloods and nothing that jeopardizes their internal packs with each other Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a great way to integrate the ghost bloods into this sort of climax scene without actually forcing anything or changing the way that they interact with society in general or any a- anything. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that it's a it's a smart way. Again, we've we've been talking about towing the line between subtle and hitting something like a hammer. And I think that this is a great subtle nod, right? Like it, we do understand it as a sort of moment of subtlety and for the organization protecting the city is what makes the most sense because they're all about the preservation of Scadrial. It doesn't go against, like you're saying, the ideas or beliefs of the ghost blood. Matter of fact, it seems to emphasize them as we learn them a little bit later. I think it's great. And this is, again, that like little little subtle touch that is much preferred as opposed to saying, oh, this is very similar to when Ellen burned the <laughs> the stuff at the end of Arrow 1. Oh, man. Right. Burning the ATM. It's the same thing. Oh, wow. It's like, wait, I, I, can, I can make that inference on my own. Thank you. I'm a nerd. Hmm. That's the whole point. 
That's the whole point. Right. So, yeah. Love that a little bit. Just want to make sure that we didn't ignore it as we move out of that chapter. Because again, another very quick chapter is this is so clearly, we haven't talked about this in a while. Maybe we did last episode a little bit, but this feels so cleanly written for like a TV episodic adaptation or a movie or something in that realm. And this is a great example of those intentionally cutting scenes from perspectives just to make sure that we don't lose track of our different folks in the different moments. Mm-hmm. So cool. All right. We go to chapter 71 and we move back to Wayne of whom has the responsibility here of cleaning out the ship for them. And there wasn't a whole lot in the way of resistance. Some might say it was light resistance, but there's still is some that they find themselves fighting through to make it. And the zealots have killed themselves on the bridge. And this too is a dead man switch as they are unable to slow the boat in this way just like our favorite keanu reeves movie speed right oh fuck this is speed. It's the best this is this is speed god damn it <laughs> speed but boat oh fuck i think i really like having harmony's presence so heavily into this section mm-hmm. i feel like it gives us both understanding of the information and and like the external things going on Mm -hmm. and it's sort of an understanding of the morale of the world as it is like harmony is almost a stand-in for scadrial itself totally that's a great and I don't I don't know how to describe it better than that. For whatever reason, it feels very video gamey. Like this whole this whole section of sort of a timed bomb diffusion mission. But I can make a solid way, argument that all of Era Two feels very video gamey in different moments. Pretty much every does. climax does That's to true, some degree. But th- this one specifically yeah. stood stood out to me. Of like, sure. a, hey, you've got twenty minutes. And I'm going to be on your hood giving you like critical information and you've got to, you've got to take care of this in time. For the record, I, I just want to make sure that it's clear. I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think that no, it no, is no, I, video I don't games think so either. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Video games imitate pulp. And this is also a direct pull on pulp. And so I think more often than not, if we look for a source of inspiration for Video games, I think Pulp Fiction for a long time is what drove those things forward. And now, similarly, the story is propelled based on the pulpy westerns and is kind of imitating those and kind of poking fun at it in different ways and having a good time with those tropes. So, yeah, yeah I wasn't trying to shit on. Oh, I, I know. Reason. I was just yeah. Like, I was just making sure specifically it just feels different and a little bit more pressing than the rest of the this the era has been yeah yeah that makes sense there's a tonal shift totally clicks i i feel i feel that way too i think we talked about this at the time but i feel that way about the bands of mourning conclusion as well when wax gets a hold of the the bands themselves and the spear and how that works so i feel you yeah 
And Wayne finally realizes that there is a way out of this situation. He comes to realize that this is the Mesa, not that this moment in the boat is the Mesa, not the Shaw. That this fits that story better. That prologue plan that he's had with his mom forever just feels better and fits better here. Wayne's already come to terms with the reality of the situation, having treated for the vial, vial earlier, just trying to work out a way to get wax off the ship and hands him the rifle to launch him out so that he can solve the problem because he's always been the solution the whole time. I'm going to tear up. I might fucking cry. I'm not going to lie. This chapter yeah. break, broke me again when I reread it. So <laughs> we'll, I'll, I'll, I'll hold it together. Maybe I, I hope, but Wayne is such a beautiful mind and soul. I mean, I'll go with body. He's a beautiful body. <laughs> I don't, good. I don't know what he looks like, but it's fine. He's the greatest lay, you know, like, <laughs> The greatest lay ever of an immortal. He he is such a great, wholesome, wonderful, beautiful character to go through something so fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But who better? Truly. Right. Right. I... I think that that is what hits me like the most here. And I want to I want to get into this whole thing because I think that this is a great example of subtlety on Brandon's part is this because he never points to it. But I think that it is very immediate and that we should all think about it for a second is this idea that his entire character arc has been baked around this one bad decision where he kills a father of whom is also a husband and has these kids to be responsible for. And in this moment, he saves a husband with a family. And beyond just Wax being his friend, it's this nice, it's this beautiful inversion in this moment. It, it, it It's so good. And this is why you don't need to, you don't need to point things out so immediately, Brandon, with, with the other stuff. Because I would have felt that rush of emotions that I feel when Wayne does this. Because it's not immediately pointed out. It's just like, it's so, ah, it's so good. It's so good. Ruins me. Love it. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I know. I kind of like skipped ahead on the whole idea, but this it's it's this moment. He puts the rifle in his hands and he's like, see you, buddy. And oh, God, this is why I'm so torn in this book. I'm like, this is my favorite Wax and Wayne book. At the same time, I'm like, I don't like <laughs> the, the Cosmere shit. I, I don't think it needs it. But because it's it's there's so many beautiful character moments that get underpinned by other things. And it's yeah. Anyway. Now you know my feelings, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And that red vial that you talked about that obviously you were on right away that's supposed to be pointed out is marked off in Harmony stores. And it turns out that that is a vial containing the traces of Lorassium, one of the lost metals. It's a key to this all to allowing Wayne to do this, to have this moment where he can be the hero burning multiple metals to make all of this work. That element, of course, is what's going to solve the problem here. And so Wayne pulls out all of his various pockets and pouches of bend oil away, 17 in total, and downs it all, preparing for what must be done. Oh, the reveal of all of this bend alloy was hilarious and wonderful and awesome. Mm-hmm. But I'm surprised that it surprised Harmony. Like, this feels like something explicitly, like textually that he should be able to see you know like he he should be able to see all of this bend alloy on wayne's person you're so right and so wrong at the same time the reason that he can't is because of trell's influence right because trell has limited his scope of seeing things so he doesn't see see metals at all 
one assumes that it's very dull is the way that he describes okay. being able to see things interact with it versus normal. But yes, I mean, I, I think that effectively that's kind of what pays it off. That said, I do want to like my my smallest like little plot convenience here is how weren't all of these pouches launched off of him when he fought Dumad previously? Mm-hmm. Like, how didn't these fly everywhere Three, when two. he was being pushed against? I'm sure. I mean, so. I guess if they're all stuffed into pockets and things, they'd if they were pushed upon, it would just push him. But that wasn't. It would rip out, likely, yeah. depending on the the push. But yeah, that's that's my a singular gripe. It's not that big of yeah. a deal, but it's like okay, let's just if we think about it for a moment, right, right. And I'm okay it's with this of, being a pulpy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love that. Unless it's in a jacket that he wasn't wearing, I don't know. Yeah, right. And again, it works. I'm not. I'm not concerned about it. But it is. It is its own thing. Of course, we get the number seventeen because sixteen shards, and there's the seventeenth shard as a group. You know, it seems like it's pointing at something, and maybe we'll know more eventually. But it's right there, so feels necessary to point out. But then. There's also this lovely quote that follows it up, and there's so many of them inside of the section that it's really difficult to like try to pick. But as Harmony appears to wane as Sazed with a dark figure lingering in the background like a shadow, Harmony says, I knew that I had to bring wax to Alan Dell. It is possible to see future needs. I understood it would be good to make this choice, that one doesn't always know why, even if one is a god. I thought I only needed wax. It seems that I was wrong followed shortly by Wayne you aren't the best I could do you're the best there is all of these quotes like these and and the others like this whole section worth of quotes that just mm-hmm. gas up <laughs> Wayne gas up our boy filled my heart so much mm-hmm. they're so good I am assuming that there's a lot of truth to this mm-hmm. coming from from Harmony slash says it, but I, I forever the cynic wonder what the main intention was for these comments. If it is to convince him to be the hero that the world needs or to just genuinely compliment him. I think it's a genuine compliment and I, I, I want to lean into both. that a little bit. It, it could be, it could be. What I, the way that I want to lean into that is that I think one of the things that this section nails is the choice that Wayne chooses to do this. He's chosen before Harmony is said to launch his friend off the boat because he knows that he is the critical part of handling this plan. He chooses and acknowledges the fact that it is very unlikely that he's going to survive. He still chooses like it's it's just this constant repeat of and I totally get the thing of like saying no 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 because you know that Wayne's going to die here, but you just get this emotional buildup of like him constantly making the choice to do the right thing. And I think that's also what pays off what otherwise I would have griped a lot about. And what I did in my initial read as well with the part about forgiveness and whatnot with harmony coming in just a little bit here. I think it's the fact that he chooses it. And I think that's huge. I, I agree mostly. Sure. My one sort of detracting comment about that is that harmony knows that he's going to have a one-on-one conversation with wayne Mm -hmm. whenever wayne dies sure he has one with that doesn't need to just compliment him 
he needs to make sure that Wayne takes the steps necessary to save the people. Sure. And we know that Wayne is still a little bit struggling with this forgiveness thing that he's talked about last episode and later on in this episode, in this section, like he, he's still not entirely confident in himself and in where he is as a person. So Mm -hmm. like he needs, he needs a push. So Hmm. I, I don't love I think he's pushing himself. I don't think that he needs a push. I think that Do you he's, think he's he seeking would have done affirmation. This this conversation with Harmony. I, I think that he, entirely. I think he he didn't need this conversation to do it. He's in it in the moment. He's already shoved wax out of the shit. Okay. Like he's in it at That's this fair. point. That's a good point. Perhaps before he needed the push in, in the previous moment when they're talking about the possibility of doing these things. But I think at this point he's already committed to it. Yeah. That's I think fair. that's my thing. But but just to kind of supplant that a little bit i I think it's important to say that like yes the post conversation is to make it all make sense and to rationalize it a little bit from the cynics view right like it is it is to make that feel good but i think ultimately he feels good about that choice regardless he's not seeking forgiveness necessarily he's seeking affirmation in the search for these things he wants to make sure that he's doing the right thing he wants to make sure that he's walking the correct path it's not that he hasn't it's just that no one's told him or acknowledged it. And then he did get that acknowledgement previously in the last last week's coverage. And now it's it's a matter of fact of like even God says that like you did the right thing. And you're doing the right thing and you're past that point. I almost And entirely... I am the one who is the most cynical about this because I hate Brandon's state of redemption and forgiveness, right? And comparatively, I think that this is brilliantly written versus arguments that i've heard <laughs> in, yeah in dialogue um, but i almost entirely agree with you uh mm-hmm. my one and you brought it up the 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 thing about forgiveness he's not seeking forgiveness then why is he asking about forgiveness like, it's because he, he doesn't realize i, that I he think he's still it. not entirely understanding of the nuance and distinction between right forgiveness and redemption or however we want to call this yeah part which of me is why that it isn't i redemption feel like either, he but... still needs a push sure or, or or harmony feels like he still needs a push and that's why this conversation happens here as opposed to sure. after the explosion of the bomb fair point yeah I, I think that's valid i would i would again change push for affirmation because he's already made the choice he's already made these decisions it's just a matter of reaffirming them making it sound like it's the right thing and the right decision that's what i would change that's fair that's it that's fair yeah but it it is still solidifying a decision nothing happens until it happens until it happens like right he could go through with the intention of doing this and then back out at the last minute but this conversation with harmony is but our boy would never solidify you know what i mean yeah he could he could though but he wouldn't like you, you know what I mean. Like he, he could, but I don't. I think his character would deny him that. Like he would. That's fair. Because he's been built up to this point, right? He's been a reliable character in this way. I don't. I don't think that he would back down from this. I, I understand what you're saying. Like there's always the opportunity to do so, which he does briefly consider the idea of slowing down the ship and like taking a different path. But then he realizes that that isn't potential or possible, really. Mm-hmm. 
Wayne kind of makes right with God, like we've been talking about, giving his last wishes here to take care of all Riandre and family, making sure that Wax will make it out alive and knowing that this is going to be the end for him. And he says something that sticks with me still and circles back on a conversation we had last week. We've been talking about it at this point. But the quote, of course, is, will this earn me forgiveness? And Harmony replies, you heard this from Wax. You have to hear it from me, too, I think. This can't, you can't do this for forgiveness. You need no forgiveness. Not anymore. And, ugh, from God, I think that is lovely. I think it's wonderful. I think it's really important to acknowledge the fact that people, you can, you can be changed as a person without actually being forgiven by someone so you would never make that mistake or error again. And I think that the space for that is something that just isn't, acknowledged enough in society that well this is one of my big gripes with brain's statement that's been made on it's statement I'm, I'm putting a little bit maybe too many words in his mouth but the reaction that he had to multiverse of madness and kind of the idea there this is this is what i like want to be like more the forthcoming message and the other idea i think is a little bit more dangerous but it's like forgiveness is great I think it can be earned as long as the other person is open to it and you can work towards something. But at the same time, if you just behave in a better way, you can't undo the damage you've done necessarily, but you can take proper steps forward and like move, move on and do better for everyone else. I think at present society doesn't acknowledge this enough. And I, I think that the, a lot of people will throw around like cancel culture and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I think, I think absolutely pulling power away from people of whom do wrong things is the right thing to do. But at the same time, I also want to reiterate that there should be a path to repair that for people of whom don't do egregiously crazy bad things for the record. But there, there's got to be a line to repair because humans are fallible. And I think that's important to acknowledge. And that's why I love this. I love this because it is having that conversation, which I think is a really meaty philosophical conversation. I mean, I would argue on a very, very limited and very, very careful scope mm-hmm. that even people that do egregious things have the, uh, the capability and the, the bandwidth to redeem themselves and, and become so wayne swears in front of god and that's pretty lovely choosing to set forth with this task of setting the speed bubbles up he asks god for a hat while he thinks of how to slow the electrical signal and what the impacts there will be in the way that he can burn the metals and harmony instead of granting him a hat gives him a pair of earrings that a pompous terrorist would wear just like of course he he does being you know referred to with his last name as terrorist born and just like he has every other time he picks up harmony's accent speech mannerisms as he says the last line of his life hold on to your robes my dear friend this is going to be like unlike anything that you've seen before i think it's just a lovely little to pick up that little speech mannerism from the few times that they've interacted together and adding that i think man it breaks me a little bit to know yeah like those are his last lines and his last lines are also imitating someone. It's just a beautiful, beautiful rendition of who Wayne is as a person in the final moments. His last line alive for the record. He talks more, of course, near the end of the book, but you know, while living. Yeah. So we, we've mentioned it a couple times, I'm sure on the show and to patrons and in general, but just to 
because this is where it's relevant, I'm going to bring it up again. Mm-hmm. Um, we had the opportunity to meet Branderson at Dragonsteel and ask him a question each. Mm-hmm. And mine was about Wayne. So after he answered that question and he signed my book, the quote that he wrote was, I'm going to need your hat. And that was just so fucking cool to see, to, to see it come at this really culmination time. It's a critical juncture. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm guessing that, and this is a total guess, but I'm guessing that anybody that asked a question about Wayne got that quote put into their book, which makes total sense. It is a perfect quote that doesn't give away any information is totally relatable directly to Wayne and somehow makes this line hit harder than it would have without that. Like Mm -hmm. that was fucking brilliant. And I I have no idea about the intentionality of it, but regardless, I I think it's entirely intentional. I mean, I've got war breakers signed, right? My life to yours. My breath is your breath or something close to that. I don't remember exactly what the quote is off the top of my head. I assume that he pulls more often than not from the climax or something recognizable Mm -hmm. in these stories. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's recognizable, but not spoiler. Subtle. Which is just so well done. Brilliantly, brilliantly done. For those of you at home who may or may not recall, I talked to to him about Elden Ring. So who's the real winner here? So, yeah, it's, it's so good. It's so good. It's delicious it's wonderful it's lovely i i hurt but we move to quick cuts of these characters waiting for the explosion seemingly anticipating that something is going to happen before we return to wayne pulling off the impossible a perfect speed bubble formed and containing each of these barrels as he had described even freezing god himself so that he is unable to even react or flinch in the moment of time messing with his eyesight as well it's very clear that as he burns duralumin like he is experiencing other metals in those moments and he quickly floods the bombs with water and takes care of it as all turns red with blossoms of fires as it consumes the ship. Yeah. Great description in general. Um, Mm. I had been curious for a while about how bend alloy would mix with Duralumin. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm still a little bit curious about it because I, I couldn't figure out a way to rectify bend alloy is such a binary. It is an on-off, like this This effect happens or it doesn't kind of metal. And, and figuring out how bend alloy would truly interact with that was a struggle for me. And I'm, it seems like most of that interaction has to do with the fact that Wayne is presumably a... Savant, like I, I didn't see anything like as far as the actual effect goes changed unless it's, unless it's just a slower inside of the bubble. I, I assume that or, that's uh, what it is. So faster it's a slower kind of effect. Yeah. Time slows more. So he is faster inside of the bubble. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, as we know, we, we have a scale for the regular bubbles. It seems as though he is approaching the speed of light. When he is in the bubble, if not faster than the speed of light, which is kind of crazy, 
Also makes sense with some little bits of comments that we got about the idea of being able to travel with the bands. Important. Very cool. Very funky. Yeah. 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 I uh, I totally I'm I'm with you. You know, it's crazy how he how he pulls all of this off. So I I adore it. And it is something that I did not anticipate getting the answer to similarly and getting it in text. You know, I, I give a lot of shit for words of Brandon's and it's because of these moments. This is why I, I prefer not to have the wob is because I want to see the payoff of what that yields and understand that he's not going to be able to get to every single reaction over text. But the idea that he's sometimes covering it out of text means to me that it's never going to be in text. So it's like it's the opposite side of things where it's like, is this ever going to show up? Are you potentially spoiling something that I'm going to love when you present? Which is why I just I choose to read as few as possible to to go through this. So I do love them, though. I think that they're solid in their own right, but uniquely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Wayne dies. But there's a little line here in the end, right at the end that I want to bring up regarding his life in the Mesa. And it's this. He'd been gobbled up. It was true. But when that happened, you strangled the monster from the inside. And it is such a poignant way to end this perspective, this life, and this idea of overcoming the damage that he's experienced over the course of this. And this idea of like, how do you change if you don't change from the inside to begin with? You strangle the thing that you did on accident. You strangle those things and you you wring it out of yourself. It's brilliant. So. Not only that, but that quote specifically sticks out to me as familiar. And I believe it comes from the flight of the ornithopter Mm. story that's within the broadsheets where somebody is like swallowed whole and fights from the inside out. I can't remember specifically if that's in this book, but I feel like it is. I feel like you're right. Which is interesting because I definitely didn't pick up on that. And I think you're totally correct. Yeah. Yeah. Which also makes sense because as we know, Wayne does read and he reads the broadsheets. I'm pretty sure you're right. I, again, some of these extra textual things I haven't liked in the past. We've talked about the idea of era one and the, you know, these sort of epigraphs that we get on each page. And it's been fun and fine in the way that it exposes things. But I, I definitely paid less attention to the broadsheets as such until this book, I would say. And that's that's where I found it. But I I think you're I think you're right. Hmm. Cool. Anything else to say about Wayne's death immediately here? The scene and sequence. Uh, not immediately. Sure. It's sad. All right. Sad boy. It's so sad. PJ, PJ sad boy. PJ sad boy. Crossland sad boy. I it does it does hurt quite a bit. Obviously, we've been we've been talking about this for a, a while now. But this is. This is the culmination point of the week. From here on out, we're pretty much epilogue territory. I mean, predominantly, it's reacting to the end of this. And this is the, it's kind of the end. It's the culmination of everything. And really, from here, we get characters reacting sadly to the the events that have happened. So, kind of immediate payoff. So, definitely wanted mm-hmm. to bring that up. But, we go into chapter 72. We return to Wax having been launched from the ship by Wayne. Quick couple of page chapters. And then the explosion goes off, feeling that shockwave in the water. Wayne is gone, as he can acknowledge in that moment, and he says goodbye, farewell, my friend, you incredible rusting man. And it's it's a tearjerker. Hoyd shows up to to take him away in in the carriage because throughout the story, in a nice flash, this is a great moment where it's like 
Hoyt has always been there with the carriage, even though they never took it. In this moment, he shows up with the boat, and it's like feels really great to How the you know fuck hit that. Does Hoyd exude more Deus Ex energy than the literal textual god that we have conversations <laughs> and perspectives from? That is hilarious, and I love it. <laughs> he does, though. Like it, I'm, it, like I'm not he arguing. feels like the god influence and we have a god who is a character that we interact with and talk to who literally oversees the entire fucking planet and hoid somehow feels more deus ex you're so right (laughs) i don't don't know i i I have so much more to say on this topic i can't yet but (laughs) i i uh, yeah you're not wrong and i i think that you nailed it's so it's so great that you nailed that because that is something that I think, you know, what, one of the great parts of our show and the kind of experiment of this whole thing is getting to expose you to these things and get you to like predict and talk about other things. And so every once in a while, you just fucking nail it. It's great because it's it's fun to it's fun to talk and speculate and see how that unfolds in your predictive mind. All right. Hoyt is, is lovely. I, yeah, of course. Definitely. For sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Right. Andal Nasium at Adel Nasium. Adel Nasium. Adel Nasium. Dull. Yeah. Nasium. Where's an Andal? Fuck, man. God. Now you threw me off. You threw off my vibe. Name that movie. It is Adel Nasium. Okay, cool. All right. Just want to make sure. Yeah. Okay. So I fucking love it. It's great. You're not wrong, though. Hoyt is, Hoyt is fascinating. That's also part of the reason that I, I settled on. The idea of not restricting you from reading short stories and the like in this is because I didn't want to lead you into assumptions like we were talking kind of at the break of what would be impacting in the story and what would be there to begin with. And kind of wanted that take of like, what do you what do you feel if you don't know these things? And that's been a fun little microcosm experiment for this book in particular. Yeah. Always testing. Always testing. Okay, cool. That's that's it for seventy two. It's mostly it's the reaction of wax to the death, and that's it's very quick. Anything else? Did you did you hit your your hoid note? No, that's it. Cool. All right. With chapter seventy three, we then basically move to Steris and do something very similar. She witnesses the explosion with violence and the rest of the group taking care of it all as they sit there and they begin and continue evacuating people. And Steris is worried about wax, of course, immediately in the moment, and basically says that like if he saved the day he saved the day you know and and that makes sense and her reaction feels good and genuine from her perspective and saris is of course worried about wax but feels good about having helped in this moment despite the impending tsunami that seems likely to be approaching so yeah i probably should have but i had not at all considered the idea of a tsunami being the side effect of the bomb being detonated early mm-hmm. safely away from the coast. Um, yeah. But a fucking course Sterius has <laughs> a contingency. She's worked plan at the plan. Yeah. I'm just, the, the thing that I'm most surprised about is how nonchalant the gun, the governor is about discussing those contingency plans. Like we sure. don't we don't get the hey, if they decide to detonate that outside of the affected zone, we're still gonna have to deal with a tsunami. So let's have a contingency plan for that. As far as I remember, 
Like that doesn't come up before this. And he's just like on the level, like you sure a tsunami's coming? Like it, that felt, it felt like an opportunity for celebration and then bringing, bringing the sort of emotion down saying like, yes, this is awesome, but we still have to deal with the potential incoming tsunami instead of just dropping us into a conversation saying like that tsunami's coming, right? Yeah. 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 But we'll, we'll deal with it. Does that make sense? Or am I missing something? No, I think, I think you're right. Okay. I think you're good. Yeah. Feels, feels right. And of course it's not, it's not as extreme as she imagines, right? That's the other side of this is we talked last week or the week prior about premeditatio malorum. And that's kind of the idea is you think of the worst thing, so if you prepare for the worst thing to happen, it almost never is the worst thing. It's the next, it's several stages below. And so you're very aware of how to handle the worst thing. So you can handle lesser problems as they arrive with more and, ease because you've considered the worst result. And also my understanding is that Wayne's encapsulation of the explosion within Ben Dalloway significantly reduced the actual strength of the explosion. Well, I don't know if that's strictly what is implied as much as it is that it's the water reaction of et metal, not the trellium explosion. So that's okay. the, the biggest okay. difference is that this was going to be a trellium explosion that we saw in Wax's lab. Same kind of idea, but scaled up many times versus instead what he did is he turned it into a, an et metal on water thing. And so preventing it from being a nuclear bomb to just being a big old bomb. Gotcha. Okay. So that's the biggest difference between the two. I think that these chapters do move very quickly. So that can be a hard connection to draw because of how quick this all resolves in its own right. But, mm-hmm. you know, he does. He, I, I should say it's not as though he didn't do something to impact the explosion in the way that it's managed with Ben Dalloy as well, like putting it underwater and everything else. There is something to be said there. But the biggest difference being that it's not a trillium harmonium explosion at metal explosion it is instead just a raw at metal bomb gotcha <laughs> yeah that's a great point love that Zebras. wayne turned fat man into the beirut explosion you know just turned it down several notches it's great yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so we go to chapter 74 and we somewhat shockingly come back to wayne in his final moments of existence on the cognitive realm passing between these different worlds as we've seen back in the previous stories as he spends his last bit of time with harmony and harmony is really 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 proud of wayne and what he's done in saving everyone and keeping the balance of this world where wax was the sword wayne is very clearly the shield and he is given one last question and this has this joke that kind of makes it about Marisi as he reflects on it in Milan and kind of the, you know, there's, there's this bit of course about like being the best lay ever for Milan and the truth of that. And there's, there's a bit before he really gets to the heart of what he wants to say. But what do you think of the moment that we get in the, in the cognitive realm with Wayne? I am so, 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 so glad that we got this scene. Mm-hmm. We we've talked quite a bit about that gloves off comment both mm-hmm. this episode in general and this entire book so i i wonder if this scene is encapsulated by that philosophy i don't necessarily think so, so but i think that it hear, is hear me out for my sure. reasoning behind that this scene we are familiar with 
strictly because of external text. Kind of. There is no core Mistborn book that deals with this intermediary phase of death. But it's approached in a very, like, matter-of-fact way. And it's understandable. Like, you, you can understand what's happening. If you don't have, I presume you, you you can understand what's happening if you don't have the experience with secret history. Mm-hmm. But I'd be curious what people that have read this and read all of Mistborn but haven't read secret history, what their perspective on this scene might be. That's fair. I, I guess, like, I don't, Mistborn secret history to me, that's how it's subtitled for the record. It's not titled differently it's not just secret history it's misborn secret history generally we refer to it that way because it's within the series and saga I, I almost actually got up and grabbed my copy of the lost metal just to see if it's listed in the sort of chronological published works because i have to imagine not even that it's listed or anything immediate like that but i would you're closer than i am so yes please double check is that at the beginning but it would be at the beginning generally But the point being, regardless of that and the answer herein that we're going to learn in a second, I think that because the Bands of Mourning points directly to the publishing of of Secret History, it is implied to be absolutely necessary as a text. I I don't think that that is listed as a part of the Mistborn saga. So there you go. Yeah. Part of the original trilogy is how it's structured. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but (laughs) because I would not read that after the original trilogy. Yeah. Anyway, point my my core point being I'm with you on the the idea in the description therein and this being the first appearance in a mainline story, we could call it. But I don't think that this is gloves off. I think gloves off is the the Marisi, the entire Marisi component of the story. I don't think that that's this isn't gloves off to me. Okay, if that makes sense. That's fair. But as a comparison point. Yeah. That's where I lean on that, but mm-hmm. not that that is the end all be all of either either side. But of course, he follows up with the was that the biggest damn explosion a person ever made? And Harmony replies, Wayne, I suppose that the most most other things that could have rivaled it, the detonations of the ash bounce would be categorized as acts of God. Therefore, I declare that it is. And it gives this kind of perfect sort of circle moment on Wayne and explosions happening near Wax, but not around. Again, subtlety here is great because like Wax is close to the explosion, but not impacted by it. And it was always Wayne that was the cause of the explosions in Wax's life. And that's it's lovely, I think, as far as a good little subtlety and subtext goes. Yeah, this is such a good send off mm-hmm. for Wayne. Yeah. Everything about it. Right. Heartbreaking, of course. Totally. And we end the book almost. We've got the epilogues to talk about here in a second on one of the most lovely bits of prose of the whole story, all the way from the very beginning of the book in the prologue, that sort of story that his mother told him. And we we get this again, another full circle moment with Wayne, which is such a brilliant payoff. But he says, with that, Wayne stretched into another place, into another time. He stretched into the wind and into the stars and all endless things. My soul! Goodbye, our boy. Goodbye, boy. Goodbye, our boy. So sad. So sad. It's, yeah. What a a send-off. What a way to end 
the book proper, as it were. Hot damn. Well, there it is. And that's this week, folks. Just kidding. I did genuinely, if anyone remembers listening back to the other episodes, I did genuinely consider ending the episode there and then doing an entirely additional episode on the epilogues because it's a lot that happens in a little bit of space. But in total, this whole section is only like 60 pages. So it's it's the shortest episode of the week by page count. So it didn't feel right to split them. So we've got the epilogues now to talk about. Are you ready? For the epilogues? You are. Cool. They're basically, I mean, like, they're 50-50 for me in terms of overall enjoyment. We'll, we can talk about this in the meta episode where we talk about the Lost Metal on the whole. But they're, like, part payoff and resolution and part Marvel-style after-credits sequences to hint at things to come. Um, but we'll talk about that as we go through them. So we start with Marisy, and I just love that these scenes are framed with the time frames, right? These epilogues being given that shows the passage of time and the way that this is all communicated very clearly is lovely. It gives this sort of impact that, you know, Christopher Nolan would give a story like this and giving the time markers and the way that things have changed and giving you a sense and a feel of space. You know, it's, I, I think it's solid, but anyway, we get into Marisy's perspective 10 hours post the explosion. She's not only exhausted from the day that she's had on her own, but is just torn apart by the news of Wayne's death to the point of her feeling like it's a delusion, like it's impossible. He could never die. He can always kill himself. And she feels incredibly broken down like we do at this point in the story. And we, I think, are meant to empathize with her in those moments. Until Alec comes in, of course, and offers some cakes and other baked goods to shake her out of it. So at the introduction of the time frame... Mm -hmm. My expectation of this story like this and that paired with the fact that like you could see there was a decent amount of story yet to be told mm-hmm. just based on like the amount of pages left there. Mm-hmm. I expected a progressing story about something similar to or akin to nuclear fallout and that that idea is pretty could have been compounded by information that we get later regarding like ATM and Lorassium being produced. No, we do. We do learn that beforehand. We do. I, I can't remember. Well, it's, it is after it's in Kelsier's perspective. Well, sorry. Yeah. No, you're right. ATM it is, before is this. yep. ATM is Kelsier is unaware of the Lorassium. We're made aware of it prior this by harmony in chapter like 68 or something like that. Either way, I assumed that there'd be some side effects on the population from this explosion. Maybe we'll still see some, but we get like two years down the road and nothing's really expressed. Right. I just want to say you're not wrong on the idea of this being a nuclear fallout. You're wrong that it's a nuclear fallout. You're not wrong because this is ultimately the fallout of Wayne's death and the the impacts therein in the way that those mushroom cloud and dissolve and change people's lives. So that's fair. Good point. Boom. Roasted. Boom. Okay. Still. Meh. Something is <laughs> sure. It, I mean, maybe that'll still happen. Like if the atmosphere is now seeded with lorassium through this explosion. I don't think that's the case because it's not trellium, right? We have to we have to clarify again that it's at metal versus a trellium explosion. These are two different things. So the oh, only okay. way to get lorassium okay, and atium okay, okay. are 
by detonating detonating them to create that nuclear bomb. Again, we're stepping away from the nuclear comparison, and it's really just a regular uh, bomb by comparison, just getting it wet because of the unstable nature of the metal to begin with. So gotcha. it's not the fallout. It would never be the fallout. Again, that buzzes by, so it's it's easy to mistake. I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Going, going past that, mm-hmm. I personally appreciate Alex's offer of, of pastries and of cakes, but if I were in Marisi's shoes, I feel like I'd be pretty annoyed by that. Like, I, I feel like she needs at least a few days, man. Mm-hmm. Like, this is something huge, and just yeah. saying, like, hey, it's been 10 hours. Forget about your friend that just sacrificed himself and come eat some some cinnamon rolls. I, yeah. Here's I, I totally I agree with you. For me, I have to equate this a little bit in the way that like I mean, this is Alex's character as far as we're aware. If if you and I went through something, actually we did go through a dramatic loss of a friend, and our answer was like, Hey, do you want to go get a drink? And I think that this is supposed to be that. But it doesn't feel correct because it feels so obtuse through the lens of like going and having cakes and sweets. Like there, there's some sort of shared cultural thing through like going and getting a drink in the language that we understand. And I think he's trying to pull on that. But as someone who doesn't drink, as someone who, you know, is a Mormon and has never drank, I, I think that he's trying to relate to that. But I think that it lands flat because of that, because it's not more explicitly clear. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. That's my bit. I totally agree with you. I think that that's what he's trying to do, and I think he fails. Well, you know, that was a very harsh way of putting it, but I think that it doesn't land the way that it could. I I could see this being intended in that way, and this doesn't come across in the way that we're making making it out to be intended. Right. Yep. Okay. I totally get that. An hour later, <laughs> so an hour after the fact, right? If we went to the bar and then we're like, okay, we've got a letter that's delivered by this little girl who delivers this envelope that has the ghost blood ghost, not ghost, ghost blood symbol on it and an address. She passes the newsstands that proclaim the victory of Wax and Wayne and how they saved the city and wonders if anyone will ever know her story of what she did to save the day. It's just this plat- passing kind of fleeting moment, but it is... It's one to consider like Marisi's story inside of this is forever kind of a secret. It is its own secret history in its own way. I really disliked this comment. I yeah. really disliked this, this moment because it felt like her entire story, like her entire perspective and the, the story of Marisi unfolded in a way where she overcomes and grows out of the desire to seek glory like wax mm-hmm. and, and emul- emulation of wax. Like she, she has completely grown out of that. And I felt like we had such great progress. I feel like this, this moment would have been a lot more satisfying to me if she saw those broadsheets or she saw those people talking or whatever it was and just had an, an internal smile, an internal comment about, recognizing that she too was critical but she doesn't need that recognition and she doesn't need the publicity 
or the praise. Like this, this felt like a step backwards and it's short and it's not that consequential. I get it. But for whatever reason that felt disingenuous to the like overall arc that had almost been entirely completed from Marisi. And, and like, this feels like stepping. I, I don't think that, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to make clear. I, I don't think you're wrong by any stretch. I think that like for me, I think that that is the intent. The way that you wanted to read this is the intent of how I think it probably should be read because she doesn't really think about it in, I, I'm framing the question a little bit strange here in the way that I've talked about it, but I don't think that she's reflecting on it as this thing that she needs to be known for that she's chasing. She's just like, she knows that like if her secret got out, it would fuel the broadsheets forever, but she doesn't necessarily desire that. I think to your point, the way that this could be punctuated very simply is by including something like a smile and like an acknowledgement of the idea just to further it a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. But yeah, I think, I think that that gets us closer to where that is, but I, I don't think that it undermines her arc in that way. Cause it is minor. It's not, you know, it's not crazy. It is. It's really small. It's yeah. like a sentence. Yeah. yeah it's, fine. it's a two sentences, three sentences. It's not that big of a deal, but she does eventually make it, of course, to the Ghost Blood Hideaway, and this one is a bit more pretentious than the previous ones, of course. Reminds me of Fear Street, where the Sorcerer Supreme lives. It's kind of the same idea in, in my head. And she arrives and is confronted by the survivor. She even says, having met all of these other figures of old, she would have assumed to have been less shocked than she actually is in this moment. But this, this is the guy who's the foundation of everything, kind of. And that's huge for her. We get an update and Moonlight is still out there and missing as well as an invitation for her to join the ghost bloods from Kelsier extended by twin soul. Mercy says no. And she says it because it violates her values and the sort of collaboration surrounding her desire to serve people first, not the interests of the planet at seemingly any cost. Like the ghost bloods seem to be seeking. What would you make of Mercy's decision and what she chooses to do here? I feel like I kind of, expected this from her mm. and i don't know if that follows through with what i predicted last week no does it not it does not okay. <laughs> well, we're saving so, predictions so, for the lost metal wrap-up for the record fair but, enough fair enough yeah but what i would have expected from this mm-hmm. is for her to push for some sort of joint task force joint Okay. task force in which she is able to work with the ghost bloods without being a full fledged member sure. on things that they're allowed to share, but that like inherently fights against like the tenants of the ghost bloods. So it doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. It would have been cool. Like I am, I am so of the opinion that it would have been so cool to see Marisi as part of the ghost bloods. But I think reflecting on it it makes sense that she would say no got it yeah i i i think i agree with you i think that i was in on the idea of her saying no because she's always wanted to impact more people and she sees this as a way to impact people but in one that is cloudier than even the paths that she was willing to walk as a constable in the different moments the way that she kind of learned how to play that system she's like this is not as involved with the people this isn't as direct and so naturally it felt like the correct thing to do i I think i'm with you on that i i really really dig that so she chooses to walk away from that 
And then we move to a very interesting perspective. Briefly, we switch to Twin Souls' perspective for the first and only time. We are confronted by a southern Skadrian Scotterian, with a fearsome painted mask on. But it's actually the voice of someone from Silverlight. This new character, Delaville, Delaville, de fucking something, wants to strike out against her. But Kelsier shuts him down. And there's this small note from Silajana here at the very end as well that almost makes me feel like there's a symbiotic relationship of like a direct connection with the Aethers that's almost maybe similar to a hype man or an antidepressant. Yeah, God, it makes me curious about the relationship between there's there's a character that I'm thinking of that I'm sure you know who I'm talking about and they have what feels like a very preserving motivation. Yeah. A little bit more malicious in their case. <laughs> a little bit more encompassing. Perhaps. But like, like I, I'm so intrigued by the Aethers and, and these characters. Yeah. Me, I mean, me too, for sure. I just want to make it clear. I'm, I'm kind of roping into this as like this idea of maybe the Aether is so intimately connected with the person on the other end of the investiture, potentially it might not even be investiture, but of the equation that like they know where like the gaps in their soul is to some degree and they know how to fill them intimately to like make them feel better about themselves. And that's what I, what I felt the most clearly from twin souls perspective myself. So I just like the equation, the equate equating it a little bit to an antidepressant of sorts. Yeah, I like that. So, yeah, right. It's pretty neat. So we then move to Steris, and I'm gonna be honest. Of all of the epilogues, I'm actually the most disappointed with Steris's. That's ultimately because, for the most part, it is just following up on Wax, and there's kind of two discrete parts of it here. But it's Wax and family, and those things are important to her, so it does make sense. But it feels like it enables, of all of the characters that we get, it is the least. It's not my favorite. It's just not my favorite. I, I don't know how else to really get get down to it. But we do get a very strong moment in the epilogue here with her, with taking care of Wax's recovery and his return home to family now that he's been delivered. We get the moment of where he cries and breaks down over the death of Wayne, of course, of which is critical and feels imminently reminiscent of the moment with Asteris when he finds out that he killed Bleeder and he killed Paul and he killed Lessie again. So it's very reminiscent of that whole train. And yeah, I, I, I really dig it. I just wish that it focused more on Steris as opposed to here I am a wife and yeah. Yeah. Anyway, no, that's it. I, I'm with you. It, it almost feels like a, I put this as Steris, but it probably should have been a Wayne perspective. Hmm. For a lot of it. Um, yeah. I, I wish this perspective in the epilogue had happened first. Like. Oh, sure. Yeah. Two hours after detonation. Like before Wax makes it to shore. Mm-hmm. Maybe even her, like the perspective of her finding Wax. Mm-hmm. Immediately after the detonation. I, I. But something that is uniquely her talking more to the people or more to the to the government, like whatever it might be, that could have been a very, very cool perspective to see as opposed to just an alternate 
camera angle to wax's perspective that is exactly my issue with with the Steris perspective here although it is good because it does provide the context and the relationship and it does feel like a full circle on their relationship which is great but at the same time it doesn't feel like comparatively the other half of this right is that she's been given the opportunity to serve Alan Dillon Varlance as a disaster planner. And like, there's, there's a whole circle and almost like quasi panic attack. That is like, she's going to be asked to be the vice governor. And while that definitely, I love that in the perspective, it feels more like a footnote than it should, or has any right to because it predominantly spends its time acknowledging Wax's character. And all of the rest of these don't necessarily do that. Wax's perspective also gets kind of mucked up a little bit with this because of the passage of time stuff. But yeah, this is the one that I was the most bummed about. I think. Yep, I'd agree. Did you have thoughts on the, the footnote though of her accepting this role or proceeding into I mean, this being I, acknowledged? As far as her accepting the role of like disaster planner? Yeah, effectively. Yeah, yeah. I think it's perfect. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is it, the perfect sort of balance of stakes being presented of something that she'd probably pre- be pretty good at but doesn't actually want to do and then the switch into something that she would be perfect at and actually probably wants to do and that's the mm-hmm. sort of difference between the vice governorship and this disaster planning council member Yeah, uh, something we get kind of dangled in front of us is is the fact that the vice governorship has been vacated through a firing mm-hmm. and we can kind of, of understand why that happens right but we don't get anything specific we don't get any press conferences or anything like that i'd be curious what the public was told if anything but all in all i like I like the back half of Steris's perspective. Yeah, yeah. In in this chapter, I wish it was more than yeah. Exactly. I I I do too. And I I also I want to make it very clear. I do like the other part, but I just wish I would have been okay to have two wax epilogues to like make make us feel feel these feelings. Like it would have been it would have been fine. Yeah. I get why you do it this way and why you name each of them in this way. But you could have done it with the timestamp that we talked about. You know, obviously we're using that to divide. I would have preferred to focus on the things with Steris. The kids, of course, showing up is great. I'm not. I, I like that aspect of it. It's and I do like the perspective on the whole. It's just, you know, it's more used to present wax than it really was as a camera angle, as opposed to really being about Steris and fixated there. Right. That said, the craziest epilogue that we get here is the next one, moving to all Riandre and this is such a fascinating thing to hop into, and I love that Brandon chose to do this. This is my favorite piece of the epilogues. This is easily the best, as we're couched in her perspective in life for the first time. And a lot has changed since her college days that we saw her back in Shadows of Self. She's got a kid born from a mistake, very similar to what we kind of understand. And, and she's got some empathy for Wayne, while not sympathy or anything like that. She at the very least understands how someone can make a mistake, as opposed to her art studio, which has gone under in the moment. There's also this direct parallel with the forge that she goes and works at with a child that is very similar to what happened to Wayne's mom of like going off to the red devil machinery and killing her eventually as it claimed her husband i think it was the mine not a forge but similar enough it just mirrors this in such a brilliant way and it's lovely and it hit me like a ton of fucking bricks it is incredible 
what is pulled off here. Awesome. Yeah. And it should feel cheap. hmm? It should feel cheap because we never get her perspective otherwise, but it hits. It worked perfectly somehow. No, I totally, 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 totally. It felt very, very perfect. This is Wayne posthumously rewriting and rewinding a history that was destined to repeat itself Mm -hmm. in that of his, he and his mother. And I, I'm sure he would have done something for her if this side of her person, not personality, but this this facet of her life hadn't been made aware of. Mm-hmm. But the fact that we get this sort of mirroring of his mother and himself, like it, it just makes it feel so wholesome. And it's also like the cycle of poverty. Like you see the same kind of thing yeah. and it's just a brilliant representation inside of the world to put us in time and place that is otherwise completely lacking in all of yeah. these books. We've been begging for something like this and it's, it is at the 11th hour, but fuck, I love it. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I think in a lot of other scenarios, I would have seen this as cheap, but I also, like the fact that we got to see the demise of Wayne mm-hmm. before seeing the parallels between this woman and his own mother. Right. Which is why I think it lands as well as it does. I think you're totally right. Right. Oh God. And it is so, it feels so good as she goes through like painting the toothpaste on the wall with her kid getting yelled at by her landlord of whom was doing that almost has this like spider-man two tone which i also enjoy like there's just a little bit of it's it's not campy necessarily but there's a little bit of that there in which she like is trying to do the best for her kid in the moment which you can also see in the very beginning in the prologue with wayne the my only comment is that i do kind of wish that this was the last prologue I do kind of wish that this was the end end of the book as opposed to the ones that we get after this because it does feel like it just hits so well. But regardless, she's left as the singular beneficiary of Wayne's estate, leaving her as the fourth wealthiest person in all of Ellendell. There's a wonderful note, too, about her regrets. Like we've talked about understanding a mistake while still hating someone for making it. I This is just, again, I rag... I've often ragged on Brandon for prose choices that he's made in era two and, you know, early prose and era one. But this again is why he is so good when he chooses to turn it on. <laughs> and like, sometimes it just is what it is and it's the perspective and it's the way that it all hits. But fuck, I uh, more, please. This was amazing. Incredible. And like her payoff feels so good and so cathartic in the way in which she just inherited, you know, Edison's fortune basically. Yeah, I mean, this is the resolution, I feel like, to the forgiveness comments mm-hmm. between Wayne and Wax and Wayne and Sazed. Uh, mm. th- this is this is the real life. Ah, fuck, I can't think of the terminology I'm looking for. But regardless, like I, I'm so glad that we get her perspective in the epilogues here. Maybe it would have been great to have it beforehand but i don't know if it would have hit as hard sure if we had known everything ahead of time yeah i don't think you're wrong again i i think that you're you're entirely correct with the way that this lays it out 
And I think that this is a great shocking perspective to have in the 11th hour. I don't think it's a problem that we've never hopped into this before. And it is a brilliant payoff in the way that a couple of the other ones that we get later here too are as well. So are we shocked to hear that the next epilogue is my most disappointing epilogue? We're shocked to hear that when we move to Kelsier, I'm a little bit, I just don't even know how to deal with this. I do. I do. I get, and I get why it's here of all of these. I I've made comments about the MCUism of it all in the way that this has gone or the way that these epilogues are done. And Kelsier's feels the most that way. It's it's couched in it the most, I think, as it begins to play up the connections to future eras and the like. I'm just going to summarize it and then we can kind of talk about it. There's a lot that happens here. It's not that it's bad for the record. I don't I don't dislike this in the way that I actively dislike secret history, but it is much more of a tease and it leaves the story feeling less resolved than I would love. It, it kind of it provides a loose end. And of all of the things that I think you can criticize Era 2 for, I think the biggest one is the loose ends, but at the very least it nails the characters so much that I can be I can be convinced that it's fine, that it's setting up Era 3, and I understand. I just, there's something that's nice and conclusive about Era 1, even with its loose threads. And I think that's the nature of this being an un- unintended quadrilogy, tetralogy of books. So anyway, I'm going to summarize Kelsier real quick. Kelsier looks out, for Elendel from atop a skyscraper says it appears and informs Kelsier that the Chondra discovered ATM dust in Wax's laboratory caused by the splitting of Harmonium using Trillium and that that is going to save Marsh. He tells Kelsier that Marsh is going to, of course, make it. Kelsier hopes that the explosion provides produces Lorassium as well, but says it tells him it gets destroyed in the process. It's, it seems very clear at this point, potentially that he's aware that he could be lying. There's a little bit of an eyebrow twitch and whatnot there, but says it tells him gets destroyed in the process. Kelsier tells says that he's not capable of protecting Skadriel as he feels as though his, his wrists have been clasped and so he's not capable of doing it. But Sazed says that he has it in hand. Kelsier urges Sazed to lead them into a new technological age so that they can find new allies and ways to defend themselves like Autonomy has for her planets potentially in the way that we saw things through the other side of the portal. He argues with Sazed continuously saying that they need to speed up their technological advancements to survive and Kelsier tells says that he'll protect Scadriel at any cost, which is what we've been talking about previously with, with Kelsier, of course, is that any price can be paid to keep this planet alive, to keep Mare's dream alive. And he's yeah. willing to pay it. So there's there's so much here, but like, yeah, there's a lot to butt into. This is all like era three punting for me, for the most part. So I, I think what I want to focus on the most is something that you and I talked about quite a bit. Immediately after I finished this book, I to to start this out, I understand and I think for the most part agree with your perspective, but I still feel like I the camp of how do I word this? I can effectively believe that this conversation between Harmony and Kelsier is ultimately futile and will do more to drive a wedge between this already strained friendship because he admits and, and, and shows that ATM. This is relating from this is relating to the lie. Yes. Yes. I just want to clarify. This is relating to directly to the, but he says that ATM was produced, Mm -hmm. which to me, even though Lerassium is, hypothetically or or 
as said by Harmony, not produced. Kelsier's still going to want Atium, both for Marsh and for himself and for the Ghostbloods right. in general. So, like, he is going to seek a way to create controlled explosions that produce Atium. And mm-hmm. in that process, he is going to find Lorassium, and that is going to create a means for a standoff between the two. And all it's going to do is create more of a rift. I think if Sazed, if if Harmony was going to lie about it, he should have lied about both. But you have Marsh as living proof that ATM still exists as long as he's alive. So he has to exist, which means ATM has to exist, which means like just give up the idea that Lorassium is produced too. I get that Harmony believes that Kelsier's like seeking of Lorassium is ill-advised or will do more harm than good or whatever he's feeling. But he's going to find it anyway based on the fact that he's going to be seeking ATM as well. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't know I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I I want to I want to make it very clear. I don't think I I'm in just to make it very clear. I'm in your camp. I think that the lie is a mistake. It's an error, but it's a good one that the character makes because naturally it feels inclined that way. And it also feels like something that a divided harmony would probably go through. We haven't talked about it yet, but the word discord is thrown around a couple of times in this section. And there's this idea of the shadow in the background that is in all these different moments. And, And so we have this kind of we have this nature of harmony that is kind of brought into question and this idea that maybe harmony isn't what harmony is presenting. Um, Mm -hmm. So there, there is this, there is this large question about harmony. And I think that it is a fun one to ask, especially in relation to the connection with Kelsier here. And I, I think that ultimately you made this delineation a couple of times and you said that harmony is hurting their relationship. I think that's important because it isn't just says it in there. It is the shards intense. It's these other things to preserve the planet because I think his friend of whom isn't beholden to these wills of a fraction of God. Yeah, you're totally right. But his will is a fraction of God is, is its own thing. And, and so like he's sacrificed or lost some of that potentially there's a, there's a lot there. There's a lot of meat on that bone, that particular bone, as has been brought to attention as well. Like Discord is used a couple of times to describe harmony throughout and specifically the epigraph from, and again, we know how I feel about the epigraphs from Hero of Ages, but his will be Discord is it is an interesting thing that Sazed says that brings up this idea, A, that there's maybe more to read into those epigraphs yet than one might have assumed and more rules that are tucked in gib rules rules might be there and we're just unaware of them as well as context for future events but i yeah i think i'm with you i think the important clarifying moment though is that like i don't think Sazed would keep the secret but i think harmony has enough intent on preserving and like trying to keep the balance as possible that he doesn't believe that he can control his friend anymore and I think that that also paints Kelsier as a pretty clear, not just a good guy, kind of a bad guy, maybe. Yeah, that's so, fair. Yeah, makes it really interesting. It does. Oh, man, there's a lot to it. But I 
I think right now this may seem unsatisfactory to some degree. I think we're going to get hooked on talking about Kelsier in the final episode for the wrap up of this book. It's impossible not to textually. There's plenty to go on. We could talk about it for two hours, which is why we're going to do a wrap up episode to discuss some of these things. So don't think that we're just leaving this to lie. We're going to go to the next episode and we'll talk about it there. Got more to cover in terms of the book. So just a couple more, three more perspectives, and two of them are quick. So we move to Renette's perspective, and this is a long-term payoff for our little Wayne boy. We get a brief but lovely full circle on her as she returns home from her honeymoon and finds her place built out to incredible scale at the behest of Wayne and his inheritance as it waits there for her. And there's a lovely moment, of course, with her, I think now wife. I think they're married. It was their honeymoon, yeah? Their honeymoon, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's just a lovely it's a lovely moment as they return from Malwish. It seems as though they are potentially also, given the context of the end of this, they were maybe the last people that were allowed to vacation there. <laughs> so there's that. But yeah, what would you make of the Renette payoff? I I felt like Renette's compliments of Wayne, though they're steeped in reality and in negative perspective yeah 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 but it, i i felt like they matched those of Alriandre, and they, they sort of beautifully encapsulated the impression that wayne left on her of somebody that was a little sandpapery a little a little bit negative but ultimately a positive influence on their life Despite yeah. all the wrongs. Despite all of the problems. And it's also acknowledging, again, that he has issues, I think, in its own right. And like, hey, I didn't mean to be a dick as often. And I think that's what's so great about the wife being the one that's bringing this to her attention is like, he wasn't all bad. And it's important to remember that in these moments and sort of the impact. And yeah, I I find it really lovely. I, I really, it's tough. And like, even she's having a tough time dealing with the idea that he's gone. I will say... I have a gripe. I saw a big one. I don't like the use of perky in her perspective. I don't like the words perky. I don't like how it's used. She had been nice and enjoyable and perky. Okay, not perky, but not grouchy. I don't know. I'm I'm weird. Perky. I don't I don't like the word. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. That's my moist. That is, Most people don't like moist. Very, I don't fucking like perky. <laughs> yeah, that's a very small gripe. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it is a micro gripe I by comparisons, it, but but yeah, I, I feel like most people won't have that same reaction as you will. No, right, right. I know. I, I'm not expecting other people to have the same reaction. It's just uh, perky. Come on, I I, I I don't I don't like it. I don't like it. That's just me. Yeah. Anything else on Renette? Renette's perspective? I don't think so. We meet back up. We move then to the Milan chapter and we meet back up with Milan in Shadesmar on a boat somewhere accompanied by a show Dell. She's heartbroken by the news of Wayne's death, her mortal position in this whole thing, and is going to attempt to try to reweave her heart despite the pain that she feels. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I really I like I like how this perspective goes. That said, I just want more information here. Like more than anything, I wish we could get more information from Milan. But that's not what this epigraph is for. That's not what this mm-hmm. part of the story is for. So it's fine. Right. Right. 
we'll get it in future books, but ultimately like I, I feel for her. It's very, very sad. <laughs> yeah, it it is sad. I think I'm, I'm mixed on this epilogue. I'm kind of giving them each like a mini micro review, I think, as we're going through them. Milan felt so sure of this in the beginning and this idea of, I don't know. So like not every relationship needs to be love. And I thought it was okay that it was a fling for her and not for him. And I liked that disparity of perspective. I can still understand you being in pain from like a relationship gone. But the fact that she reflects on it as love internally interesting great i love it from the immortal perspective but i kind of i kind of like just have this like wing of a wish that it wasn't couched in this sort of damage that she feels i both like it and i don't but let me be very clear but yeah like it would have been okay it would have been okay for her to be like damn it i lost one of my closest friends one of the people that i related to the most that's very tough to deal with but throwing around the L word instead of her perspective when she so clearly distanced it. I, I have just like the slightest inkling of, I don't know. The L word Obviously it was a difficult choice. Right? I'm not trying to downplay that. Yeah. Hmm. I missed what you said. I was I said just saying the L word being Lorassium, right? Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Lorassium. The, again, the lost metal is the friends that we made along the way. So, mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, it it just it does feel like a little bit of a simplification of of feelings and trying to get something across that I think could have been done in a different way from a different character at a different time. If this is the Cosmere and we need to think about the worldwide implications of everything, I want more varied perspectives. And I think Milan's I had that very perspective and it kind of got got shuffled away at the last second a little bit for me. But it's okay. It's not the end of the world. It's just like. okay, if you don't. If you don't have a fling in one of these books, it doesn't end in a relationship. Like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be grouchy. I know that you just like marriage, Brandon, but like some people just don't do that. Right. Anyway, I liked it for that reason. Now it's like, yeah, woo. All right. So with that, anything else on Milan? The show Dell, for instance. We don't I mean, really get any description. We <laughs> You're don't just get like, anything else. Just we know that name. she's there to rescue people from a place. Yep. yep. That's it. It's like three pages. It's very That's quick. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Well, then we go to our final epilogue here to talk about. And of course, it moves to Waxillium to end it all. And we return to Wax two years later in front of the statue of Wayne that is easily within spitting distance of Ellen and Vince. I think that makes sense, of course, as they are all the great heroes of whom sacrifice themselves in the Mistborn series to date thus far. He's got an interchangeable hat as well as interchangeable plaques for quotes beneath him that evoke the feelings that he we would get from Wayne if he were still here with us, I think. I hadn't realized that the plaques were interchangeable. Yeah. Like I, I like the hats being interchangeable are fucking hilarious, but mm-hmm. I was so excited about the idea of that shake it quote being immortalized <laughs> unchangingly basically the good charlotte verse from yeah, all those years exactly. anthem right yeah shake it once that's fine shake yeah it twice it's that's great okay shake it three times you're playing with yourself again yeah i agree with you i think i really like it and i think it's fun that the quotes are interchangeable because it's like we'll change them out from time to time just like he'd want mm-hmm. um and he's got so many different bits of wisdom i, I we mentioned steris in her section earlier and talked about that at length but I think it's important to recognize, too, that like she also stored some quotes of Wayne in her notebook. And so she has a repertoire 
of things that either are said by Wayne or feel Wayne adjacent that kind of summon him in his own way. Wayne-ish, Wayne-ish quotes, and and that's lovely, and I think that that feeds into this whole idea of the statue, which is also a very fantasy idea to begin with. Statues aren't in a lot of other media, so it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We also get the political setting of what has changed over the last two years since we've moved on in time as these epilogues proceed. Civil war has been averted thanks to the near-miss disaster and that the Ladrian Harms family is carefully politicking for representation among the outer cities, and now they're moving on to the roughs as they haven't yet joined their next up for Wax and the family to tackle. We also get a greater sense of the Malwish Consortium consortium, and what's going on with them since the returning of the Bands of Mourning and the complications therein. It seems to set up the next story practically directly. I mean, this is pretty much... I've been making the MCU extra credit teaser bit joke for a while. This is this is that moment that feels the most like it's setting the stage. It also feels like a good resolution for Wax. So like I'm not not upset about it, but simultaneously it's a lot of scene setting for what's to come. I mean, regarding the Malwish, this feels 100% like a setup. Mm-hmm. We've we've discussed it before, so I'm not gonna dig too far into that what i will say is i would love to see some sort of short story or novella or something of present day wax visiting the roughs Mm. and the interactions that he might have of people that recognize him or people that don't and just how he's able to effectively or ineffectively travel within the roughs as as a political figure instead of as a constable that's interesting i want to bring something up this is extra textual of course as far as understanding goes brandon with each of these is kind of putting something in that is adjacent to the story influences and informs it at times or builds out the world in some way so in the first series we've got the epigraphs of the different books and the different texts over the course of each book in this we have the broadsheets of the different cities that we're in and or around in the moments and in era three the plan is to do a comic book as the interstitials Mm. because it's going to be of that age of the golden age of the silver age of comics and the stories therein that are intended to be told among those pages so far as he said thus far, are meant to be Wax and Wayne stories. So it'll be more Wax and Wayne in just short bits. And so I totally agree with you. I think that that would be an interesting comic for one of these at some point to put among those pages to tell a little snippet story. So Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. That'd be super Ain't that cool. neat? I love that idea. Yeah, I was in. I was in on that idea. So I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I would love I would love a little novella or something else going into that. At the same time, I think that this is such a solid end that I am afraid of it getting picked back up and it being an imperfect ending. A law secret history. <laughs> you don't you like my timidity for going back and doing something again or re-exploring these things after it feels like a good ending is high as hell. So mm. I understand the desire. I just simultaneously, I have that desire. And at the same time, I'm willing to squash it because be careful what you wish for. The thief of always. What? Anyway, cool. We started the episode talking about that. We're going to end it. So 
We also get a note from Marisi and her plans. She's to be the first ambassador to the Malwish in a long time. Thanks in no small part due to, her, due to not only her relationship with Alec, but as well as the moves that she's been making over the course of her career. It seems as though she's angling for some larger political desires here as well, which is great. And yeah, comes full circle. Yeah, Governor Marisi has a pretty nice ring to it, I think. I, I made the reference at the beginning earlier that I was like, hey, it would be so cool if Marisi survived to the next era and was just in the background, just there in the story as a political figure, as an advisor. She doesn't need to be anything. She can just be in the papers. She can just be talked about in the comic books. She's whatever. young enough just that, around. that could, I guess, it depends on how long of a time skip. Yes, is, you know? right, right. It'll be okay if it doesn't happen. I would just, you know, if it's only going to be a couple of decades, just have Marisi peek around the corner once or twice. I'd love that. Yeah. By the end of this, you can see the stage set for the future. We're on to the Cold War next and all of those implications between continents. But before we get too far, death arrives, soothing everyone's mood and handing a card to Wax to explain that he will never be interfered with again and that no one else will move him. And so... Wax sets off into the future, bound to help as many people as he possibly can. This combination of three different personalities, a la the dress and all these callbacks that we've we've talked about previously. I mean, it's it's just this book ends succinctly on that point that you can be all of these things at once and do what you desire. It's great. It's lovely. There is a comment here on which I am in Wax's, but that's a like Wax questions Marsh on how he mm-hmm. can be here without being seen and his answer is emotional allomancy and wax talks about how he doesn't quite believe that and i i'm i'm with him like there there is something more and i don't think it is covered by anything that we have access to at this point right not that i can be not that i'm aware of something more what's more like what could allow you to walk unseen by the masses? His explanation is emotional alamancy. Yeah. I think but I'm wax in on doesn't buy it. I, I think wax. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. I, I do want to, I think that the reason that he goes unseen to some degree is emotional alamancy. And I think I'm in on that for the most part. There is this idea that Marsh could be a world hopper. And could be going between things a la Hoyd. I don't know that I buy it fully. I think I'm more in the camp of he's got Duralamin. We've seen him manipulate people. We've seen him break guns in ways that no one's anticipated and like has any idea how to do. So I I'm hard pressed I mean, to think too far otherwise. But I've got an inkling being entirely unnoticed. Yeah. Duralamin and like we know we've seen a rioting with Duralamin like there's no nothing to say that like he's also got compounding he's also like he's got heme allergy with these things I, I think that there's so much to that could answer that question that hasn't been explored in the complications that Marsh has as someone who has access to all of the metallic arts across the board and all of the nuance of heme allergy to them as well I don't know I'm, I'm hard pressed to think that he that it is anything else. Okay. Outside of those like additional flexes that I think exist because he's using multiple things. That's fair. Yeah. All right. That's my thought. But I feel like it is of this world. I, I want to add that context. I think that it is 
of this world and the unexplored ability would be something more akin to an unexplained combination of things so far. Mm -hmm. But I kind of don't want to end on that. I don't want to end talking about the capabilities of the system, PJ. I want to talk about wax. How do you, this is the end. This is it. This is. Yeah. How do you feel about the end? This is, this is the story. The The story's over. Like, do you think this is the last thing about wax that will be written and released by Brandon Sanderson? I think it's the last POV we'll get of wax. Yeah. I don't think it is. Hmm. I think it is. I think I think it's the last in a novel, but I think we're going to get something, whether that's a short story or we don't get Vin's perspective again. You know, like no, no, but Vin dies. Uh, fair, fair enough. This is a this is a thing that I have with Era Two is it doesn't feel like it concluded in the same way that the right, other series exactly. does, and we'll we'll get into that in our wrap up. But I do not think that we will return to Wax's perspective. I'm very, okay. I feel very strongly about that. But I, I think that that is a problem with this book and the way that it's, it, it, it is, I, I think it's a symptom of this being an accidental series to some degree. I think that is a part of the problem here versus it being kind of planned like everything else was. But there's so many dangling plot threads that it feels like we need to pick up the rest of them and run with them and tie them off within these characters. And I don't think that's the case. I think we've set the plot threads for other characters to pick up. And that stinks because mm-hmm. we've got Chekhov's guns that we were staring at that haven't gone off. And we're just waiting for it to happen. And that's... Right going to take a decade before we get to the next Mistborn era so the completion yeah. of the next Mistborn era but you know yeah you're right who boy who boy other thoughts on the ending there's just so much epilogue <laughs> yeah there's a lot of epilogue it almost feels disingenuous to call it an epilogue it is a part it is like I agree with lot. you I think it's a part this is and again, this is why I considered splitting it into its own episode because there's so much to resolve. But instead, I was like, we'll do a wrap up episode on the book and on the series. So that's that's our mm-hmm. way of, I think, giving the due attention that this is worth thinking about in the future, as well as like pitching the idea and reflecting on the whole book as the epilogue wants us to do. So. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Cool. With that, next episode is going to be our The Lost Metal wrap-up, of course, and we'll be we'll be talking about that. It's just going to be the two of us talking about a lot of these different thoughts and feelings and everything else, as well as paying off all of PJ's predictions, because now we are at the end of this. What's super fun about this is some of these aren't answered, because they're unresolved plot threads that none of us know and or are aware of. So, uh, <laughs> yep, and might not be for decades, so... Wunderbar. Neato, bandito. <laughs> um... We'll resolve as many as we can, of course, as well as the assumptions that PJ made at the end of the last episode. But that is going to be that is the end of our weekly Wax and Wayne coverage. We are doing, of course, the wrap up episode and then a final Mistborn Eras kind of discussion that we'll have between with Overly Average Ben, of whom is going to come back with us and chat about Mistborn Era 1 and 2 and kind of a whole series retrospective thus far, of course, as it's been published. And like we said, The Lost Metal, which will be coming out next week. After that, we are diving into our next book series, The Greenbone Saga. At the same time you hear that wrap-up episode for The Lost Metal, you're also going to have 
a an episode introducing the hosts that will be joining us for the Greenbone Saga. It's going to be a really great time. Very excited for mm-hmm. all of the wonder and everything else that is kind of in front of us. I'm I'm super excited for the new series. Yeah, it's been a time. It's been a year. We've been doing this for almost exactly a year. This one. Yeah. Wow. Specifically. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. It was the second week of January, I think, is when we started it. So that's it. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's all she wrote. It's crazy. Any any final words to sprinkle on this grave, like Salt Bay? What can I say to get joke. myself kicked out of the future FIFA World Cups? I don't know. <laughs> that, was a good, that was a good call. <laughs> that was a good callback. <laughs> a lot of people may not appreciate that in like a year or two, but right now I'm really getting it. <laughs> awesome well we've got a couple we've got two more weeks that we'll be talking about this book and some of the other books in the series so don't fret if something comes to you we'll talk about it but mm-hmm. that's where we're gonna leave you for this week thank you as always to tim and andrew for making this show happen you can check out all of our links in the show notes where you can find our schedule our patreon our previous episodes our websites social media accounts Fucking anything, anything you want to interact with us, you can find it in one like very nice little nugget of like location, space. Can you tell yeah. I'm drunk right now? I, I mean, yes. I that wasn't. I wasn't gonna bring it up. But there, there are as well. Make sure that you check out our short pours. I know that we haven't made a big point of promoting those previously, but of course, we do have a monthly schedule that we're following. We're doing, I think, a decent job of promoting them. We just released an episode talking about Tress last week, last Friday, that you can listen to. We're going to have episodes weekly coming out, which is crazy for that podcast. We're doing two weekly episodes a fucking week. That's wild for our time and how we spend our lives. But we are talking about The Legend of Vox Machina over on season two over on the short pours as well as at on my birthday we'll be releasing an episode covering my favorite novel of all time the thief of always by clive barker which i'm very excited to talk about we haven't done it yet we're doing it soon but i'm so stoked for that and i hope that you enjoy those things if you're looking for other read-alongs we're also covering other books over the course of the year and other seasons of tv so make sure that you check out that schedule on twitter instagram and everywhere else that we put it out follow along short pours are great it's a great little mini format. You don't have to follow and listen to hours and hours and hours of us. Instead, you can get a bite-sized two-hour episode on one book <laughs> as opposed to, I don't know, 40 to 80, <laughs> depending. But yeah, eight in the case of Alloy of Law, so never mind. Some of them are very short, but comparatively. Yeah. As PJ had mentioned, you can find us at all of our social media, Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, Words and Whiskey Show, gmail.com. You can join the Patreon, at which you can listen to the short parts that I mentioned early if you're at a bartender or above at patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. And you can also buy t shirts at the moment at T Public. Watch our website, though. We got new ones coming soon. I feel like I keep saying this and keep threatening it, but you know. Yeah. I, we have they're coming it's happening it just takes time all right in in the works like i haven't seen it's, any it's of a it, new thing but yeah i know it exists i'm i'm freaking out like because yeah <laughs> you know what we've been working on it for a long time <laughs> we've been working on a lot of things for a long time it just takes time to do shit yeah so thank you so much for your rusting support and we can't wait to see you next week um, um, um.